Well, welcome to Nerds in the Word podcast. We are the nerds in the word. I have a guest nerd today. Um, our nerd, Dan, is is working on his doctorate in some sort of um, esoteric, uh, backwards, upside-down Hebrew astrophysics for Scott McKnight, and he is finishing up um, some big projects. So I gave him the week off. Even though we already took a spring break week off, I gave him another week off because of my deep, deep kindness. But my nerd guest today is one of my best friends and just a fantastic scholar and also my father, Angus McDonald, the Reverend Dr. Angus McDonald. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I think scholar is uh, really pushing it a bit. <laughs> but I'm a hardworking student and I, I love to love to think things through and especially I love to live it. So that's exciting to me. Well, and I have I have a memory of um, being a teenager in Virginia and on Sunday afternoons after preaching two services, Dad would go to the local radio station and record the reflections on Oswald Chambers for the week. And you would read what you would say, Oswald Chambers, the best from all of his books, with the kind permission of Oliver Nelson in publishing. <laughs> you would say it over and over because you had to do five spots in a row. I think that was 30, 6.30 in the morning with Pengy. Yeah. <laughs> Our black and white border collie. Our border collie. Yeah. But occasionally I would come with you. Wonderful. And... We had a lot of fun doing that. That was that's a that's a memory from a little bit ago, but I am one of your best fans, quite frankly. Uh, if if we ever get one of these podcasts, your mom and I sit down, and it is as if some you know Nicodemus or some great scribe has has come into our presence, and we really enjoy you and Dan. Just absolutely marvelous. Is uh, huge amount of joy to us well i learned and from the best just because it, it is you it is actually that good and thank uh, you the thing that bothers me about a lot of evangelical scholarship it is so utterly serious it reminds me of mournful oatmeal <laughs> mournful oatmeal you know very own companions sort of yeah, yeah yeah and, absolutely and, and there's just no reason for that whatsoever no there. No, I, I'm I'm a, I'm of the mind that the Bible is actually pretty funny. <laughs> I agree. Well, like C.S. Lewis said about about sex, he said, "What you need is a a really huge belly laugh a belly laugh to get the to clear issue. your mind on the whole issue." Yes, yes. So today, I we start with the question: Have you ever have your had your feet washed? Have you ever been in a feet washing instance or ceremony, or have you run one or anything like that? I have, I have, and I, I had a, I had a black pastor that had some real issues with white pastors, and, and uh, he wanted to deal with that issue. He came over and wanted to wash my feet, and, uh, and I asked him for the privilege of washing his feet as well. We had a wonderful time of it. I felt it was uh, unusual. It was ticklish. Uh, <laughs> But I, I really felt it represented a great deal. And one of the things mm. was um, a huge amount of, of kind of humiliation, humbling mm. in the process of, of disrobing a part of you that's very private and mm -hmm. very and stinks. And, and not you know. entirely ready for 
not ready for the stage usually. <laughs> no, no, absolutely right. Absolutely, Mike. My friend uh, Ted Gardner and I used to surf together. We'd get up at four in the morning and go to Rincon or something. He and I uh, actually had a foot comparison thing and went to my mother to, to have her decide who had the best looking feet. It's complete nonsense. But anyway. <laughs> the vanity of, of 60s Beach Boy surf bums. Who yeah. has the best feet? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, and expecting a mother to be objective about that, you know, your mother, yeah, <laughs> she she could probably do it, but she'd be lying. <laughs> she was a godly woman. Well, she so, was. Yeah, Grandma Betty was was one of a kind, but one who understood the importance of prevarication at the right time. Well, now I I have one memory of foot washing was. I was part of a, a small congregation in, in Vancouver when I was in seminary, and it was very, very downtown. So we had maybe 30 people on a good, a good day that would come, and we would have um, roughly half of them were homeless people who were um, mentally ill or drug addicted or anything else. And we had, we had one mentally ill man, Richard, um, who who was known to weep and pray beautifully, but also was in various levels of, of psychosis a lot of the time. So mm -hmm. he would, he would just spread his arms out and he would, he would just hold forth and you'd go, well, we're just eating donuts, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we haven't even started the service yet, uh, you know, and, uh, um, <laughs> and it, I think one of the, one of the important things for me as a pastoral intern was, and I always thought, ah, oh, there's Richard. I need to reach out to him. Love on him and everything. He hated me. I don't know why. What? <laughs> he hated me. And I would come over and I'd but say, you hey, man. you think your dog hates you, too. Well, I, yeah. I would say, hey, man, welcome. And he'd say, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so, but Richard, one time, there was a, a foot washing thing. And and he, they were, they were going to do a foot washing ceremony this once a year. So they did them. And the pastor was sitting down to wash Richard's feet. And and Richard started holding forth, I think because it made him uncomfortable. So he starts saying things and crying and everything. And, and Don said, shut up, Richard. I'm washing your feet. <laughs> and everybody, the room stopped. The whole world stopped turning. Uh, and it was this moment uh, of this confused, troubled person uh, who is being served by the pastor and everything stopped. And that's that's what we're going to talk about. Foot washing. John 13. John that's 13. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Let me say from a father's point of view uh, what I think of this son. Uh, incredible integrity. Incredible truthfulness. Incredible humility. And a deep desire uh, to be truthful about the word loyal to the word but at the same time absolutely uh not kowtowing to anyone but uh no well I, thank you and i would I hope you got a little tiny bit of that from your father but i, I don't know that i learned from the best man character doesn't come from nowhere <laughs> um john 13 speaking of character yes please john 13 and verse 1 
Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So one of my favorite parts of the way that this is worded is that John, John in this part of John, is it's climactic so passover's here jesus knows his hour has finally come his hour which has been waiting all the way through the book of john the devil is on the scene judas is about to do this and jesus has all things given into his hands by the father so everything is going in the orchestra this is you know the the violins are at a trill and the trumpets are very loud and the the cellos are going crazy and everything else. And in that grand moment, Jesus takes off his outer garment and kneels down on the floor. <laughs> I just love the, the climactic part of that and this great crescendo of happenings. And what you get to is the great crescendo ends up with him just, oh yeah, now it's time to serve which to me is fantastic. I mean, if I had a great crescendo like that, I would, hey, look at me. <laughs> you know, I would, I would perform in some way. But Jesus said that was the time to get down and to do the hard work, the this kind of work. Now, what was what was the deal with foot washing back then? What was the thing? The deal with foot washing. Why was this a big deal? It didn't make any sense to us because we don't wash each other's feet. I mean, what was? What was the place of that in society at the time? First off, I think it was not a service. It was not religious. No. It was it entirely was, functional. It was entirely functional. Because, I mean, the best, uh, you know, like boots that were out there, Roman, you know, and they had it lashed all around their legs. But the fact of the matter is, it was not a foot a foot covering, right? Right. So the feet would get just absolutely full of whatever was on the road, and what was on the road, quite frankly, the roads they used were traveled by animals. Yeah. And those animals left whatever was inside of them on the road, and this is in, on the feet and everything. So when somebody comes in, it would not be the best smell. Their feet would be the smelliest thing on them. And yeah, so, so not only do you want to take your shoes off at the door, you want to take off what's on your feet. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So this is the lowest thing you could possibly do. It is also the thing that's to the farthest out from where they're eating. They're either reclining, their feet are at the outside of the circle, and their heads are towards the center. Mm -hmm. And that's and their hands are in the bowl and things like that. So I think it is entirely, in my opinion, a, uh, a sort of cleanly cleaning thing, a hygienic thing. A hygienic thing, but I think even more than that, something that was pleasing, just pleasing to everyone. It was part of hospitality. You did that for everybody. Right. Please wash your feet. Yeah. Right. And you remember uh, a guy named Jerry who, who was the... Uh, 
the driver for uh, a billionaire mm-hmm. in the United mm-hmm. States. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, I'm not going to mention the name of the person he drove. But I do remember I asked him, I said, what was it like uh, to uh, have you ever uh, drove kings and, and queens? And he says, all of them. And, yeah, and I said, I said, have you ever uh, driven uh, Princess Di? He said, yes. And mm. she was very kind and very aware of me mm. as a driver. Mm-hmm. And I said, how about Prince Charles? He said, he absolutely did not recognize my existence. And that is the way of the crown. Mm. And so you need to understand the way of the crown towards a driver and towards a you know, washwoman or towards a servant or a anything washer. Like that. Yeah. Absolutely non-existent person. Mm-hmm. And, well, that, so, and that to me yeah. is what strikes me is this, this is the, the work of slaves in that culture. And you didn't hate your slaves. No. But nor did you regard them. You ignored them, which I think is. Except for is, Joe. Well, yeah. But, but for, for the most part in daily life, this part of that in that culture, you would have disregarded the slave. Absolutely, it, it was an, that person was an appliance. Absolutely, and if that appliance didn't work, you got another one. I mean, Absolutely. it was absolutely. Yeah, so I think that's you could even get rid of your wife by saying, "I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce <laughs> you," three times. And, yeah, and uh, so and the attitude towards the slave would be even even lower. Even less less regard, yeah. and I mean, Terrible. I think that's what that's where Jesus says. Jesus goes into lacking; he doesn't mm. do anything at this point. He does without. That's beautiful. At this point, and he that's goes beautiful. into being disregarded, not even not even hated, not even anything else. But he he walks into the woodwork, mm. um, and he says, "This this is where it starts." Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's, that's what's striking about that, that moment of, you know, and it's, it's hard to do that. Like, I think of just with my, with my kids, I want to teach them great lessons, you know, I want to teach them all the wisdom that I have to share with them. Um, I think you're but, a great father. Well, thanks. I, I do. I think the, one of the best, one of the, um, one of the, one of the things it takes sometimes the most strength and the most restraint is to listen to them, to go without, to serve them by just being a presence for them. Mm. Um, and, and that's, that's hard. I'd much rather tell them something <laughs> when I really, what I need to do is, is watch them learn the world. And that is the most wonderful thing, but it's also the most, it takes the most work. Um, I agree with you, and I think that is the essence of love. I think it is the essence of love, and I think uh, uh, it's interesting to me that the Christ, the Son of the Living God, comes to us and lives with us for thirty years without doing anything. And the, even the, and the first miracle is a secret that nobody knows about, and then other miracles he said, "Don't tell anybody." Mm-hmm. You know, I I just think. Uh, like you say, the lacking is absolutely amazing. May I say something? Please. There are two times in this passage that uh, it is made clear that he knows 
Jesus, knowing that his hour had come and that he would depart from this world to the Father, and then later it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had handled all things over to him and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. You know, to me, the question of love is impossible to do unless you feel at one with the Father mm. at, and, and have that deep sense of not only affirmation, I'm not talking about loving yourself, I think that's the probably the foulest misnomer I've ever heard, but knowing that you are loved, mm. knowing that you are, are significant and knowing that you're cared for and that whatever you're going to lose here is not going to be lost to the one who cares the most about you. Mm. And and this idea of Jesus disrobing and becoming like a slave, in part, is because, in my opinion, he knows that his, his status with his father is absolutely unassailable. It's impossible to lose. Right. His identity is absolutely secure. Secure. And that, that I think, is a, is, a, is a beautiful moment there. Um, and you have almost this, and I mean, granted, this is the, this is the Bible dork side of me, but you have this moment where he is, he is disrobing, you know, he's not naked washing feet, but he was probably in something. I think very short, more than we small. think. Yeah. Probably not much clothing. Yeah. But that absolutely. is, that is the ballast and antithesis of Eden or Eden where they covered themselves because they were ashamed of their nakedness. And here he uncovers himself because That's beautiful. He is, completely unashamed that's beautiful and is doing in doing what needs to be done in that moment and i think one of the most striking things about the context of that moment is that judas's feet were damp when he went to betray jesus oh jesus lord that that his feet were clean because jesus had cleaned them well his mouth had had wine and, and bread yeah too. absolutely that, that he had shared with jesus him. yes and of course, you know, there's a whole discussion there. And the reason that Judas could put his hand into the, the dish with Jesus because Jesus sat next to him mm. at the Last Supper. Mm. Very much on purpose. Wow, that's gorgeous. Where Peter sat at the end of the table because he had listened to Jesus' lesson about those who sitting at the end of the table would be honored. Judas, mm. of course, had not. Mm. And Judas nice, I like it. Him. So. I like it. Anyway. Uh, my question for anyone is in this era, as we come to this, and I'm looking at the whole thing as a metaphor, and I apologize if I'm leaping too much, you know, me and metaphor, Leap. me and metaphor. I had to write a book about that. But I think we're at a time when uh, we need this kind of humility before the non-believer. The non-believer thinks we, oh, some bad words are coming to mind, but the non-believer <laughs> thinks that we are like President Trump was when he addressed, did the first address to uh, now President Biden. Right. That right. moment was, uh, would have been seen by many as condescending and as aggressive. Mm-hmm. And that is how the Christian is seen. In mm -hmm. uh, in uh, I had I did a class uh, at a church uh, recently, and mm -hmm. uh, and I gave them 
each two and a half inches of tape. And I had the women uh, tape their forefinger to their thumb. So they were doing that. Like making rather an than, okay. Rather, yes, an, an okay, okay rather than pointing rather than their pointing. finger. I see. And I had the guys put it over their mouth. <laughs> and I, I said, remember this word, this acrostic, wait, why am I talking? And, and the idea of the Savior uh, coming into a world that he created you know, you can just imagine the local news, Channel 5, saying, you know, Jesus, we're here. We'd like to get a miracle. Okay? Mm -hmm. So when is your next miracle? We have um, uh, commercials we have to break to. <clears throat> and what would Christ say? He may describe uh, the ankle of a child. He may describe the... Uh, the uh, wildflowers along the road that mm. his father made mm. or his father participated mm -hmm. in making or the clouds that are of that day. And I, I just look at that. At, it is one of the most immense proofs of his godhood mm. is this lacking you're talking about. Absolutely. And I, I think that is, that is wise in the sense of approaching the outer, the, the culture that is, that is not doesn't believe like we do. Whatever you want to, however you want to categorize that. Yes. Appro approaching them in a way, and I and I kind of go out on a limb to say this, but especially in the American culture, honestly, they've heard your message. They need to see your love. Yeah, exactly that's, right. That's kind of it. Not that you should be ashamed of your message any, or anything else. No. But your first movement should be love, I hospitality, generosity. These things that are not a way of packing your message in there somehow to get it under the radar, but loving because your Lord watched sheep. And that's beautiful. That's, that's gorgeous. I, I did an analysis of, our, of church architecture. You know what church architecture mostly smacks of? Mm. The Parthenon. <laughs> it does. Absolutely, utterly amazing to me. Mm. How much idolatry has become a part of the church. Also, mm -hmm. how it looks like the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And how the pastor is above and behind a box and above. I've done this for 46 years, so I'm very familiar with it. But now that I'm retired, and retirement, by the way, can be defined as a person in a, a Piper Cub flying over New York City running out of gas. <laughs> it is... <laughs> it, it's a very painful moment. But, you know, one of the things is you have no exteriors to depend on. Mm. No exteriors to depend on. And it's one of the most freeing things on planet Earth. And for me to know that I don't have to measure up to your concerns about my diction, which I think is pretty good. <laughs> And uh, or your concerns about my politics or your concerns about my courtesy or the way I, I dress or anything like that yeah. is one of the most freeing things. So mm -hmm. I can actually have the freedom to allow Christ to live his life in me with utter and total freedom as me rather than what I think other people want me to be. And I think the beauty of the lack that you're talking about here 
is you you see Christ utterly free, mm. utterly mm -hmm. gloriously free. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And that is where we're going to end. And we always say at the end. Amen. What do we say at the end? We say, Pax, Pax, Pax Humana. Humana. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>